Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing in my sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Well, good evening. Um, I have to say I'm a little giddy excited to be back. It's been uh, kind of a year. If you don't know who I am, I'm Jay Gardner. I'm not a big deal at all, but um, I used to work here on the youth staff, and I'm just glad to be back. I, I served as an interim youth minister uh, in Homewood, and I finished that up last Sunday, so I'm glad to be back home for a little while. And thanks to Matt for allowing me to, to preach um, and be here. Matt has this thing for Trinity Sunday and inviting me to preach, because uh, a year ago I, I preached Trinity Sunday. So I think Matt... I don't know, maybe a little scared of the Trinity. You so notice during the creed, what do you say? Yeah, that's right, avoid all heresy. Well, if you notice during the creed, Matt crosses his fingers. He doesn't believe in the Trinity. No, I'm kidding. Matt is Trinitarian. He's totally orthodox. He's got his credentials. Um, but all in all seriousness, thanks for, thanks for allowing me to come. Um, yeah, so Trinity Sunday. I think Martin Luther, <laughs> he had a Trinity Sunday sermon uh, he preached in the 1930s. And the, the gospel text, I think, was John 3. Uh, he gets up flatly and says, I don't know why this text was selected for Trinity Sunday. It doesn't talk about the Trinity, so I'm not either. Um, I'm not so bold as to say that, but um, yeah, if you see Proverbs 8 was one of the readings here, and maybe at first glance you're thinking, you know, why is that here? Why, why are we talking about the Trinity uh, with Proverbs 8? I mean, on the face of it, it's talking about wisdom. Um, let me open my Bible here. It's talking about wisdom, and you're thinking, okay, why is that Trinity Sunday? You know, as it turns out, uh, this was one of the favorite verses for some of the heretics in kind of the early church, particularly the Arians. Uh, I'm not going to get too, too um, high and flighty here with theology as such, but, you know, to give a little plug for Matt, Matt, you're doing a class on heresies, aren't you? Like, currently, right? How long is that going? The next few weeks? Yeah. yeah, so a little plug for that. Um, talk a little bit about heresy, but um, not, not as well as him. But, yeah, one of the heretics, Arius, um, he believed that... You know, he was a priest. He was, he was a preacher in the church. He came to believe that Jesus was not fully divine. Uh, and he was using Scripture to kind of support that, right? Um, all heresies are kind of rooted. You can find a place in Scripture if you're not careful. Um, so he uses Proverbs 8 to kind of make his claim. Um, he's using the idea, you know, if you read John 1, um, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. You know, that Greek word for word, logos, can be, you know, reason or even wisdom. So some of the church fathers read back into the Old Testament that word, uh, and they said, well, okay, wisdom that we're talking about here in Proverbs, that's Jesus. And some of the language seems to suggest that wisdom was created in the beginning, or at least if it wasn't created, you could maybe take a more orthodox reading. It was, it was there in the beginning, helping create. Well, Arius took the idea that wisdom was created and wasn't co-eternal, wasn't divine with the Father. So you can see where he's gone on and said, I've used scripture, I've got the Bible on my side to say that Jesus was really just a man and not fully divine. Really the problem there, besides the reading of scripture, was Arius couldn't believe in a God who could get his hands dirty. And that was the problem. Um, so he, he wanted to find anything that could back that up. Um, you know, one of the other, I'm not going to get, I'm not a huge church father's guy, but one of the other church fathers, Irenaeus, he said, you know, the heretics love using the Bible, but they just don't know how to use it. Um, the Bible, in an ideal world, is kind of like a mosaic that you, you, you set up, and it's got this great portrait of a king. He says when the heretics put the mosaic together, though, it looks like a dog or a fox. Uh, it really doesn't look like a king. So they use the Bible, but they just kind of use it incorrectly. So, and, and maybe you maybe you know some people that try to convince you of a point that use scripture, or maybe you know some of us hold hold points that are wrong. Surely, somewhere in my you know my theology or my thoughts, I hold something wrong somewhere. Uh, I'm not so arrogant to think that I'm I'm smarter or better than you. So, but we use the Bible oftentimes to do that, right? Well, I'm just saying, be careful. Be careful, because Arius knew the Bible uh, and just kind of use it this way. 
So that's kind of my Trinity Sunday bit. That's probably all I'm going to say about the Trinity, properly speaking. And partly, too, because I think you can't just use one Sunday to, to exhaust the Trinity. All of our, our preaching and liturgy and our music should be Trinitarian. So I'm not going to stand up and act like I'm the expert on this. And I, I do think the Proverbs, even though you can give a Trinitarian reading, Christological reading, I think ultimately the point of Proverbs in this particular year is to say there's two ways, right? There's a way of life and there's a way of death. There's a way of righteousness, there's a way of being sinful. And so the writer Proverbs is kind of making that point. This is beyond our reading. You know, we read the verse 31. But if you look a little further, if you have your Bibles, um, verse 32 and following goes on to say, And now, O sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. And again, this is wisdom still speaking. Hear instruction and be wise, and do not neglect it. Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. For whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me love death. So I think the, the idea with Proverbs, and particularly wisdom speaking here, this is a life and death situation. This is a, a sin and salvation kind of situation. It's not simply, you know, wisdom was there creating the world, and, and that, that's, we're going to leave it at that. But that's what Arius wanted, right? He wanted a mediator. He didn't want God getting his hands dirty with creation, especially not on the cross, right? There's no way God was on the cross. That's what Arius really wanted. Well, I think Arius was wrong. Uh, and I think the point of Proverbs here is saying there's, there's two ways to live, right? There's, there's the way of righteousness and the way of, the way of death. Um, going on a little further with Proverbs 8.2, there's, okay, there's Lady Wisdom right at the very beginning. That's another place where it's kind of like, okay, we're going to call Jesus Lady Wisdom. That's a, little, that's a little odd. Jesus was a man, as it turns out. Jesus was a man, uh, despite some interpreters, modern interpreters, <laughs> want to say otherwise. But there's some poetic license in Proverbs to kind of give a personal touch to wisdom. And I think that's the right idea. So instead of just living a certain way, being a certain way, it's also knowing the person who is wisdom, who is God, knowing a person. So keep that in mind, too. It's not just in the abstract wisdom, but God in his wisdom. Okay. That's all I want to say about Proverbs for the moment. Um, we also have this other text in John. Let me flip there. Um, Jesus is talking, and this is before he goes to be crucified. He's talking, and he's, he's saying that the Spirit will come, and in time, when the Spirit comes, he'll deliver all the truth, all truth. And I remember a particular time in college, um, I went to UAH in Huntsville, not that that matters, it's just me being nervous and saying things uh, in front of you. You can be nervous, I can be nervous, that's fine. But yeah, I remember in college, uh, walking out of the cafeteria, and I wasn't like a hot shot or anything, but people kind of knew I was in the Christian, the Christian circle. Um, but I was walking out of the cafeteria, going to class, and a guy stopped me. And I thought, okay, well, we can talk. And after a few minutes of talking, I realized he was trying to share the gospel with me. He was trying to evangelize me. I said, I stopped in this and I said, hey, I know what you're doing. That's cool. I appreciate it. But as it turns out, I'm already a Christian. He says, okay, good. Good. We'll go to the second point then. The second point is, okay, you may be a Christian. You may be saved. You may, you know, be redeemed as it were. But have you been filled with the Holy Spirit? And that's where I, I didn't really have an answer. Uh, I should have an, had an answer. But some people take this text where the Spirit's going to come later and give more truth. In other words, there's the Jesus part, there's the sin and redemption part, but then after you get that, you graduate and you have the life in the Spirit. That's kind of what he was trying to get at. Of course, I, I want to help dispel the idea that that's what's going on here. So yeah, here in John 16, Jesus is about to go be crucified. He's talking to the disciples, and he's saying, the Spirit's going to come and give you all truth. But if you back up just a little, and again, this is not in our lectionary text, but you know, the lectionary is man-made too, right? We can, we can go off the lectionary a little bit. 
Uh, Jesus kind of gives us the whole point of the Holy Spirit coming in the first place. I'm going to read this. This is in verse 7 of the same chapter, 16. It says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper, that is the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father. And you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. So there's not a lot of talk there about the Holy Spirit coming just for the sake of living a perfect life or speaking in tongues or you know giving a prophecy. And that's really what that guy was getting at, right? He was saying, okay, you're a Christian, but really you should be manifesting certain you know behavior and gifts. Um, and I'm not saying that that doesn't happen by any means, but Jesus says the whole reason the Holy Spirit comes is to convict us of sin. That's, that's really the whole point, to point back to our need for a Savior. So there's nothing new coming from the Holy Spirit in the sense that it's really just pointing back to Jesus. Do you get what I'm saying? Does that make does that make sense? So I wish I had that answer at the time. So if you just back up a few verses, Jesus is saying the point is to be convicted of sin and to turn to Jesus, uh, not to turn and have a glorious life of my own. And we use that word a lot around here, uh, glory. You need to know the distinction between a theology of glory and a theology of the cross. If you don't, it's okay. Uh, it's better to kind of live it than just to know it. Um, but the theology of glory, which is kind of what this guy was espousing, kind of what we all are but by default. The theology of glory is I'm in control, uh, I'm the master of my domain, uh, I don't really have to suffer or be told that I'm a sinner, I can just kind of do things. Uh, and that's looking at you know God and his, his law and his truth, as it were, and saying we can live up to that. Now the other side of that is the theology of the cross, which says I am a sinner, I need help. Calling a thing what it actually is and saying I need Jesus. Um, that's the way we should read the Bible, through the lens of the cross. Uh, through the lens of the cross and the lens of God who does get his hands dirty for us. I wish I could have said that to that guy back then. So I'm giving you the tools now. So if you could evangelize at your college or at your workplace, you could say, uh, here's the answer. Here's the answer. Um, well, speaking of this, you know, truth, all the truth that Jesus is going to deliver us and that the Spirit is going to deliver us, you know, Jesus is really concerned with truth. And again, wisdom, truth, kind of the same idea in some sense. But, you know, in John's Gospel alone, Jesus talks about truth all the time. You know, I think it's chapter 8, it says the truth will set you free. Chapter 10, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Um, in this chapter, he's talking about the truth. And then right before he's crucified, before Pilate, you know, Pilate asks him, what is truth? He's talking about truth, what is truth? And how does Jesus respond? He doesn't. He kind of mic drops. He kind of walks away, as if to say, I'm the truth. This is truth. Uh, you're looking at it right here. And more particularly, you're going to be looking at it in a second when I, when I die on this cross. That's the truth. A God who loves us so much that he would die for us. That's the truth. That's the truth. So the Spirit comes delivering that truth. All the truth. That's it right there. That's all the truth. That God loves you and Jesus Christ, despite your sin. Um, despite the fact that we're not perfect and we can't live that glorious life. So if you're waiting for the Spirit to deliver anything else, that's it. That's the, what do they say, the whole enchilada. That's it. Uh, I'm not downplaying the, the life of a Christian and the need to, to have good work as a, you know, in our life, but if you can't get past that first part, or if you can't get that first part, you never, you never get anything else either. And again, we never graduate. We never graduate from that. The first point is the whole point. We need a Savior. And we always do. So hearing this truth, though, is really hard. It's really painful. Hearing truth in general is kind of painful. Has anyone ever stop you and slow you down and say, I need to tell you the truth? I need to tell you something. I need to tell you the truth. I'm speaking the truth in love. 
They even use that language. They can couch it in sort of Christian language. But that's usually like, I, I want to run and hide when someone says that. Um, but the truth is hard and it's painful. You know, we had a yard sale yesterday. We're moving out of our house. And the truth was kind of hard, wasn't it, Paige? I don't know where you are, Paige. But we, we had like six people in the course of five hours come. And that was, that was a hard truth to face. And two of those people were our parents. So uh, we made like 30 bucks, 40 bucks, I don't know. Hey, if you do want to do a yard sale, do Craigslist instead. Way more successful and a lot less hassle. Uh, or let go. Let go is this new thing. It's kind of like Instagram. Just take a picture and somebody offers it to you. Uh, that was a hard truth, though. I'm kind of joking, but um, it wasn't fun. But no, other truths. Anytime someone wants to give you truth, it usually kind of stings a little bit, doesn't it? Um, and I, the Holy Spirit kind of stings us a little bit, convicting us of our sin and telling us that we need a Savior. It hurts a little bit, but it opens up the way. Even though that little bit of hurt, maybe a lot of bit of hurt, uh, opens up the way to a much bigger truth, uh, a much more profound truth, that despite that, God bore that, that sin and death, for us, so that we could be his forever. So even though the truth hurts for a little while, it's, it's worth it. So that again, that's that theology of cross, facing suffering, facing the hard truth, and knowing that we can't get around it, we can't circumvent it, we can't go under it, we can't go over it for sure, um, we face that hard truth. I like a lot of, uh, admittedly, these gritty dramas, I don't, I don't want to say some of them, like Breaking Bad or Sons of Anarchy, it's really not pulpit appropriate, but um, these, these shows deal a lot with truth, and people getting face to face and saying, well, hey, the truth is, um, well, so-and-so put a hit out on, on your, your wife, and she's dead. Um, these types of things, I mean, the truth really does hurt, and as a world, we're, we're generally not, we say we're interested in truth, we say we're interested in um, reason, but really we want to be in Neverland, right? We want we want something that's not truthful. We want Disney World. We want whatever it is that you want. Um, but God insists on not just giving us what we want, but what we really need, which is the truth. Uh, I'm going to go one more time kind of away from our text, and this is the same truth that, again, we never graduate from, we never move beyond. It is the very core of what it means to be a believer, to have faith in Jesus. And, um, you know, Speaking of the Holy, truth, of the Holy Spirit given all the truth, you know, the Holy Spirit inspired these words. And Paul, uh, I think, is one of the chief uh, examples of the Holy Spirit moving and speaking to us. In Philippians 2, this is that truth um, coming to us. It says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count the quality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So that's the truth. That's the truth that's come. And Paul has encouraged us to have that same mind, to have that same idea, to have that same life that Christ has had. And contrary, you know, contrary to what Arius thought, Christ really was fully divine, and yet he gave up all of that to come and really get his hands dirty for us so that we could call him Lord and see him for who, who he really is. And again, it's not that theology of glory, but it's seeing what God did for us on the cross. That's the hard truth, but it's the only truth, and we never graduate beyond that. So I don't know where you are today. I don't know what the truth is that you're facing that hard truth. Maybe it's the truth at your job. Maybe you're not performing up to snuff. Maybe it's at home. Maybe it's in a relationship. That's probably where it is. That's where most of my anxiety comes from is my relationships with family and friends and foes. 
Um, but we all have a truth that we're not facing up to, or maybe we are facing up to and we're avoiding it um, somewhere down the line. Well, that truth is real. Whatever it is for you, it's real. It's facing you, and uh, ultimately, but maybe it's an external factor, but for me, again, 99% of the time, it's, it's internal. It's something I've done or something I haven't done. Uh, that's the truth. But God, despite that truth, and in the face of that truth, and, and God's bigger truth, has defeated that. So whatever it is you're dreading this week, or this year, or this month, or whatever it is, you don't have to dread that anymore. God's overcome that in Jesus Christ on the cross for your behalf, on your behalf. So that allows me to go, praise the Lord. It's not up to me, it's up to Jesus, who's done it, and will continue to do it. Amen.